Hi, this is Betsy Beers. I'm the executive producer of Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and our new show, The Catch. And this is Shondaland Revealed, the official Shondaland podcast for the night that ABC and we like to call TGIT, which usually happens on a Thursday. Okay, it always happens on a Thursday. We today are going to talk about Grey's Anatomy. And I am so lucky that one of my favorite people in the world took time out on his day off and is here to talk to me about not only his character, but the episode we saw, and also just to sit in my large office and keep me company because I have to beg people to come in, you guys, it's rough. This is Jesse Williams, who plays Dr. Jackson Avery on the fine television show, Grey's Anatomy. Yep, here I am. Hello, Happy sir. Happy to be here, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And um, as I always do, I'm gonna describe what Jesse's wearing. Jesse's probably gonna help me. Yes, oh, we, do did, we do this? We do okay. this every single podcast. <laughs> almost, it. Actually, almost every single podcast, because sometimes I forget, and then I try to do it at the end. But am um, I among the your most most formal guests? Um, you're you are. <laughs> okay, you guys. Jesse's wearing a gray hoodie sweatshirt mm-hmm. with a really cool zipper on the side, though. There's a style choice there, which is nice. Yep, yep. And it's some my buddy's brand. Some really cool sweatpants, which are blue and also have a zipper on the side. Is that the same brand? Nope, different brands. He's got two brands going. It's not like matchy-matchy by any nope, stretch of no, imagination. Look at that. It's just kind of You're roll not, out of bed. Just kind of roll out of bed type yeah, thing. Yeah, happenstance matchy, we let me just it. Let me just say, his outfit rolling out of bed is way better than what I would. It's some really ugly mixed match old Grey's Anatomy t-shirts for me, which is basically. <laughs> it's faded. Season like, three, I can't make basically, that out. It's like literally for season one and two. And the first series of t-shirts we got were these, I think it was before your time. Yeah, um, it was a little bit. It was literally these red t-shirts and she did like three or four of them with different um, quotes from different characters on the back. I still wear one. It is literally so worn that it's kind of my husband, my, right. my poor husband, who has to like look at me pop around the house in my incredibly Tattered. worn it, like ripped. But I think I have the Ellis Gray one and I had the Izzy Stevens one that had, it's like where women we have vaginas get used to it. That's and then what it, it says on the back? Yes. Of course. Something along those lines. So I guess my husband got used to that sure. t-shirt. Yeah. Sure. That one, I'll allow it. That would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a little reminder. <laughs> But anyway, he he's wearing a pair of black Nikes, mm-hmm. and um, that's pretty comfort much all effort. It's comfort. It's kind of what I wear all day, every day. Um, Emily from Wardrobe asked me the other day, and very earnestly, very you know sincerely, do you have pants that are not sweatpants? <laughs> like, do you have jeans and slacks? Because like, I don't care. I just I prefer to be comfortable, unless I have to be somewhere. I spend the whole weekend. I mean, the funny thing is, for work. My dress up for work is I put on blue jeans and a t-shirt. Like as I say, I dress like a seventh grade boy from like 1967. But my weekend wear, I like to go more casual than that. (laughs) So I have a pair of sweatpants that I wear constantly. And I have a pair of overalls that I've had for like 10 years. And they've gone in and fashion, out of fashion, and back into fashion again. Because I was in some store in Beverly Hills and some lady came up to me and was like, where did you get those? Where did you get those? And I was like, well, lady, they're old as the hills and twice as dusty. Three decades have finally paid off of holding (laughs) holding on to these things. Exactly. And then I also have what I like to call my nasty jeans, which are not jeans that I can wear the office because they're baggy and tattered and and i don't know why i think these are office jeans because you guys they're really not very nice jeans you know some some people we go to work it's not necessarily public like you're coming to your office i'm going to my office like nobody's i'm going to work but nobody's really seeing me because i don't like people if i go to set like i'm going to my trailer and then i'll go in the crew doesn't give a damn what i'm wearing and then i then we change into our pajamas it's absolutely true and i think 
because I used to have a job where in theory I had executive responsibilities and occasionally I'd have to go to lunch with somebody. Mm -hmm, yeah. And so you have a couple of kicky tops, skirts and crap that you wear. But when I started having a job full time where I had to be able to go to set if I needed to go to set, I used it as this massively gigantic excuse just to never change my clothes ever wow. again. Like just to wear, I have four of the same pairs of jeans that I just rotate out. Really? I have a bunch of the same t-shirts. And then in the olden days, when we were first starting Grays and Shonda and I, we lived at the office, which we still kind of do. But we have these long black, what they call dive coats for those of you sure, who don't yeah. know what they are. They were originally designed, I believe, for scuba diving. Divers. Scuba yeah, diving. Yeah, three quarter that, length. You that's know. what it's called. It's called yeah. scuba diving. Yeah. Thank you for that. So. It, it has a big hood and it's got like fuzzy lining. Yep, it's and quite cozy. It, they're really quite cozy. And I am not going to exaggerate when I say, I don't think that she and I took our dive coats off for six months. We'd come to work, we'd put the dive coat on, we'd be on it it's for a, 14 hours. It's a robe you can There's, wear. It's like it's a, a bathrobe that bathrobe. you're allowed to wear in public. It's true. Yeah. And I've taken it on vacations, actually. I've worn the dive coat wine tasting. Wow. Just because it was really warm and That's I didn't have anything homely. else. That's <laughs> very bag lady of you. <laughs> Strolling into a, like, <laughs> Fancy winery. Yeah. It's like, oh, and also, the staff starts putting bottles away. <laughs> exactly. And, and you guys, that's my name embroidered on the front. Oh, right. So right. it's super. In case, which looks like you're planning on getting so hammered <laughs> that you're going to need to be <laughs> take shepherded to some safe place afterwards. It's like having your, like, your, you know, your bracelet on totally just in case. It's totally, it's like, it's, it's my found. hospital bracelet. Please return to <laughs> bungalow exactly. number seven. So, yeah, it's, I'm admitting way too much in this podcast because mm. there's something about just whenever I talk to Jesse, we always end up talking about food. Cat, again, comfort stuff. Comfort stuff. Casual I think stuff. I'm really obsessed with, maybe it's because we work so much, but it's like this whole idea of keeping as much comforting stuff around. Yeah. You. And if you're going to do it, it might as well be something you enjoy. I it's just a like, general policy for what you're doing for work. And, to and if you're going to eat. Yeah. Like I'm not, particularly, we talk about this often, but like when traveling, like not into wasted calories when I'm traveling and not because I'm weight watching, but because I'm eating a meal anyway. Why eat just whatever the next place we stop at? Like there must be something good here. That's exactly right. There must right. be something good locally that we should try out. It's a part of the traveling experience is like gathering. That's part of culture, like getting the culture from where you are. That's exactly right. And and it's also for me, I like going to a place and then being in the place for a few days because uh -huh. I like to actually scope the place out, figure out the cafe that I would go to on a regular basis. And I want to go there more than once because I get to kind of see the way locals live. Right. And I'm much more interested in that than doing the tourist run through. To get a real feel for it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, what would it feel like if I lived here? People are paying attention. We're putting together a hell of a first couple chapters to a nice coffee table book about the kind of I think that's life true. I think that's gleanings. True. I think that's true. Between, I think we've covered fashion, food. We'll co we've covered anti-fashion. Exactly. We've covered like, like slovenly chic. <laughs> and I think the same goes for TV, which is I'm a big fan of always saying to people like, hey, watch the episode again. Like you might have missed something. And with all our shows, I find that there's a lot going on. So essentially, it wouldn't hurt you in your spare time just to check this episode out again. Because mm -hmm. you might see something that you didn't see before. Because we in our business, we watch the episode a number of times very often if you're watching in post or you're watching right, for different right. and Shonda's editing all the time that I always learn something when I watch things at the very least I learn why is that extra doing that in the background mm -hmm. if you watch the show a bunch of times you start to notice because you've already extras. paid attention to what's happening in the foreground now you can let your eyes wander wander to... and then you'll say that there's somebody having a really ener energized conversation and I don't understand why in that scene I it's mean it's fascinating like, it is really that, fascinating that, that right? line of work background artists are, they're 
love, you know, and we have lovely ones. We have great ones that are kind of careerists in our show that we've gotten to know. So it's actually a lovely kind of familial atmosphere. But um, the experience of, and sometimes we're we're background artists on our That's own right. show, right? So we're background to some, uh, you know, Amelia and, and Owen's up scene or something. Or we, I just did a, a scene in uh, with, uh, I can't say who, I don't think. But we were background to somebody else's conversation. And it's funny because there is a bit of a craft to it. It's a little art form you should keep an eye out for. Okay, so now in Grey's right now, it seems like for your character, I mean, this episode had a lot of stuff in it. It has Meredith trying to date and having a full-out mm-hmm. flip-out and Alex trying to help her and everybody trying to figure out exactly what is wrong and is realizing, you know, something which isn't all surprising is that she misses Derek and so she really thought she was ready to get back on the horse and in fact, she isn't really ready to get yeah. back on the horse. And the horrible reality that she had a really good time on her one-night stand, yeah. that that was super, super rough. And you've got each of the girls, you know, each of the sisters going through their own issues in terms of their relationships and realizing that a lot of this episode is about splitting up in a strange Mm. way. But for your character, I I gotta say, I couldn't get that last scene with you and Debbie Allen, who plays your mom, out of my head, which is when you realize that she actually set April up so she could get all that information so she could potentially use it against her. And the episode kind of almost ends with this expression on your face of like, oh my God, my mother is terrifying. Right. It's a bit of an ambush. It's not a bit of an ambush. It's an ambush. And, I think it's a full out ambush. It's something, I mean, there's so many things happening in that moment for Jackson, right? It's because you got his mom involved who should have predicted this. I mean, she, my mom is always a meddler. She's always somebody you kind of, you see coming, you hear her when she's in the building. She makes herself known and she always has an angle and an agenda. Not necessarily malicious but she's a strategist she's a professional who's had to carve out her lot in life from being smart and being effective and then you also have my ex-wife mother of my unborn child and so you have these people who are both super near and dear to you that you really love and you really want what's best for but are also very unlikable at times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and can also kind of manipulate you and put you in a bad spot so mm-hmm. it's a very it's a lot of like love hate push pull between both so then to think that something's going well and then have her yank the rug out from under me i'm both dealing with betrayal on one end but also how am i going to fix how am i going to solve this at the same time but also do i want to keep do i want to attack my mom as a result you know is this something that i now do i have to have it out with her or has she got some long game that i need to be conscious of because i've lived a whole life of watching her long game you know what she does things for a reason she's often right she might be abrasive she might not have done it with you know a particular grace that you might have liked Right. You know, but she's often right. And she was with like the, you know, she when after when we got married and she wanted the post nup and she was aggressive and a little snide about it, but ultimately she's very familiar with having to protect your assets. Yeah, and I think the thing about Jackson is he's caught in between these two incredibly opinionated women. I mean, and I think the whole relationship there've been so many ups and downs with April. Whenever I watch an episode and I watch you guys, I I always agree with both of you, which is my favorite kind of TV and I think it's one thing that certainly Shonda and the writers excel at but I fully and totally see both of your points of view. And like when you're going through the the first baby trauma, which is one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen on television, just emotionally, because there was no solution to the problem. And it's literally, how do you deal with the process without a solution? But there was something about, you know, I lean towards Jackson's pragmatism as opposed to April's faith probably. Mm, But at the same point, 
that was a really, really complex argument. And I, I, I feel like with the addition of Catherine, it's this sort of constant, like you have to constantly be defending yourself as a character. Yeah. With Catherine, Your you guard have, to always has to be up. on edge. You know that she's coming with, she's coming with jabs. You know, you're in a boxing ring and she's going to test your metal. She's going to find out how thoroughly you've thought this out, how ready you are for the real world. Um, and also she's very anticipatory, right? Everything with her is getting out ahead of something. She sees what's coming down the road, a couple turns. She's trying to position you for it. You don't see it, so it seems like an overreaction. That's exactly right. It seems like, whoa, why are you? And she's, nope, I see it coming three steps ahead of us. They're, they're both, well, well, Catherine's very independent. April, who's just, just so fantastically played by Sarah Drew, who I just yeah, really love working great. with. Um, she occupies an interesting space because she's both independent and kind of sometimes flies by the seat of her pants, impulsive, but a traditionalist at heart, but very impulsive. But also very emotionally dependent, right? She needs to be able to lean on and rely on somebody, but she'll do that to Jackson and then leave him, right? Like it's yeah. both phys physically, literally, spiritually, kind yeah. of like romantically, right? She's needs you, needs you, needs you, and then she's out. And then she needs you, needs you, needs you, and she's out. And it's so true and honest in both cases. Yeah. Sometimes it's for you and sometimes it's for her. And so it's just, it's just this roller coaster with both of these women, Jackson, well, these people who happen to be women. Jackson is constantly, yeah. he's not really settled. He's up, down, he's, he's moving around. You just, you're always kind of on edge and that, that keeps you alert. It makes you smarter, but it also is exhausting. I don't think the character can ever rest. And that's one of the things that I find just riveting to watch, but also I just feel for the guy because mm. it's like you can't actually relax, especially since, you know, going through April leaving and coming back and needing the sort of stability and the constancy and the things that you would assume and kind of also what's your definition of marriage I mean that's the other thing that I think yeah. is so interesting because for any of us who are in relationships everybody wrestles with that and the differences with your spousal unit in terms of the way you see a relationship working and watching it play out on the show is just it's riveting yeah and we both view marriage quite differently it you turned sure out in, do. The, in the J. April the movie episode you know we hashed it out a little bit where she says you know nobody in my family's gotten divorce we, we had a long runway to marriage which was all about tradition and faith and being married under god and and tradition 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 and with me it's well everybody in my life has been divorced marriage is a stage of life and it doesn't have to be a prison and it doesn't have to mm -hmm. it can be a thing that it's if it's working great and if you if you need some air you need to step out then who am i to get in your way it's so for us we view it both pre during and post our marriage um differently and and, and i think we're kind of struggling she's certainly struggling with being a divorcee you know she never thought she would be like childless divorcee <laughs> you know hey this you know it's, it's completely different than the fairy tale butterfly wedding and future she saw for herself absolutely um and for for jackson i think it's just part of life it sucks it's hard and it's trying and he doesn't like it but it's the way it goes and yeah. he's seen it happen several times and, and and also you know his father is missing in action so so exactly. being from a fractured family is something that's very close to home for him it's incredibly well drawn out and it's there have been so many ups and downs that yeah. it's almost like you just want the relief there was there came a few episodes ago there came a sort of sense of relief that at least a decision was being reached right Right. As opposed to the back and forth, because I tell you, it's taxing on us personally. As actors, as actors gonna, that's what's going to be my next question. What you mentioned last year, I think it was last year when we lost the baby. Those were very, very difficult months for us. It was, it was really. You can't just, you know, just punch out and then go to a party. Like it's really emotionally draining. 
and we both have kids, you know, and, and um, small kids. So anytime we're dealing, you know, we really prepare and really rehearse and spend a lot of time with each other trying to get these things right and kicking them, kicking them around and throwing them away and trying something different and new. And um, it can be it can be very draining. And as we had to deal with our the divorce and the fighting and really being vicious to each other, right? We can be really nurturing and loving, but we can also be really vicious at times. And, and that stuff is taxing. It's hard to shake all that stuff off. And it's like, before you can go home, you need to decompress. Yeah. I can't imagine because even in my job, I'm very grateful I have a 35 minute drive home because there's yeah. something about separation of just a little bit of time in an airtight compartment where you can try to filter some of that stuff up. I totally get that. But the story, I mean, that story specifically was is so emotional and so upsetting that it, it's, it's hard to shake even when you're done with it. Great writing and really, really great acting on the part of you two. And the fact that you guys work so well together, like you have a really, really good energy together. Oh, and, thanks. And she's a terrific actress and is a lovely human being too. Um, now we've got some fan-related questions because... Uh, uh, wow, you've got a lot of fans. <laughs> they're, they're, I'm turning pages, you guys. Okay, so um, MS at April Avery wants to know, what was your all-time favorite episode to shoot? Do you have anything that you can think of that you loved the most off the top of your head? Okay, it, really two. J. April the movie was the most demanding, and I, you know, I'm in every single scene, get to work with, with Sarah, and, and it was more in-depth. So that, that definitely has to be on the list. I would have that as a tie, and these are two kind of bookends to my career at Ungrade so far, because that's recent, but I would go back to the finale of season six, the shooter episode. Oh my God, which is... It, would, it still holds up as one of the best two hours of TV. Ever. Um, period. But it was also my first season. I remember. I wasn't even a series regular. I you know, I was just kind of here. I had only been an actor for maybe 14 months. You know, I just started, and, was, and then I'm on this awesome show, and then we're getting to do this incredible work, and it was intense. Everybody was on the top of their game. It was just really an event. Everybody was so excited and laser-focused on their work, and in the moment, I remember tiptoeing around the hallways with Sandra Oh, and everybody had their terrifying moments and their hero moments, you know, faking, you know, Jackson fakes Patrick's death to save everybody in that moment. Which and is so great. It was just, it was just such a collaborative welcome onto the ship for me maybe ship's not the right word because that's been appropriated into being relationships on our show being on board it was really a hell of a fireworks show i totally 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 agree with you ruby at stella nostep wants to know if you could be any other character on grays what would it be yang maybe and i don't actually like that character <laughs> the character she's obviously one of the best actors in the world yeah she but, kind of is but that that character i found to be really a lot, you know, I found a lot of things to love and hate about the character. But you know, the, the one of the great things about being a vessel for characters and stories is doing things that have an impact and matter. And she can make you, you know, fall in love or be completely put off. And there's just so much happening there. And she's part of, you know, we talked about the value of Jackson and April and them as a team, as a collaborative unit, and in, as independents. Her and Meredith, right? They obviously have a bond. And but she's also a solo lone wolf. I like, I like her. I, I always like. Um, Karev is always the first one that comes to mind, too. Those mm -hmm. are two of my favorite characters, I think. I was an early Karev supporter, just for the record. And talking about having a lot of crap thrown at him the first few seasons, yeah. too. And once again, Justin Chambers, like one of the nicest people you'll yeah. ever meet in your life. A number of people asked kind of questions related about Jackson. Um, Lynn's at Peace Love Grace says, do you and Jackson share any similarities? And there are a lot of questions sort of like this. Shabatsky hmm. at Gomez, my Vogue sort of asks a similar question. There's, so how are you like, do you think, like Jackson, do you think you'd be friends with Jackson? It's a sort of range of I think I could be Jackson friends with him. I don't know 
what we have in common, certainly not pedigree or upbringing or uh, economic class or access in that way. I was always in creative fields. He's in a scientific field. Um, personality traits, we might be alike in the degree to which we're comfortable kind of being emotional, Some, something around like access or vulnerability. I really try to, whenever I'm on the fence about decisions or ways to take a scene or, or, or a line or, or a journey, to try to do something new and different that I wouldn't do and be scared. Mm -hmm. Like try to kind of scare myself and do something that doesn't seem rooted in something that I would do or mm -hmm. if it feels too similar to, you know, I, I want to always know that it's Jackson's voice and not mine. I think, I think that's really interesting. I think in a weird way, Jesse's funnier than Jackson. You're really funny. It's true, guys. I'm really, really He's funny. really funny. Like... It's not that Jackson doesn't have a sense of humor. It's just I, I always feel like he's, he's the more earnest side in a way. From your mouth to the writer's ears. I thought that Grey's was a half-hour sitcom when I signed up. Now, this actually so. reflects back to a couple of other things that people ask, which is, yeah, how did you ever watch Grey's before you were on it? My girlfriend, now wife, watched it. And I actually, what drew me, I remember it very clearly, what drew me to the screen to see what was on the screen that turned out to be Grey's was the music. I remember kind of being in the other room and hearing these like cool songs and my wife's watching TV like, what is that song? Like, what are you watching that has some right. amazing music on it? I'm a big collector of vinyl. I, I, I go gravitate towards music. And, and it was great. It's like one time, two times, three times. I would just sit down and watch this thing. And uh, so, so I was well aware of it. I'd seen maybe four episodes mm -hmm. just alongside her. Mm -hmm. So I knew with Grey's, there's, it's, there's a lot of complexity here. Let me just catch up later. And then I met you guys. That actually, we answered real or not real's question as if Kepner. So thanks for that. Yeah, I remember when you came in to meet, it was like, it was like a unicorn because you were amazing. It was like, we'd never met anybody like you before. You'd come out of nowhere. I mean, it was sort of like, well, I mean, yeah, we're just, I was just in nowhere and you guys you were just in nowhere and we found yeah, you. Yeah. Um, but no, it was sort of like Linda Lowy, who's our great casting director, had seen you in something. She saw Sisterhood. She saw Sisterhood, I think. I think. I came in and met you guys, just met about Inside the Box. I remember that, which so was we a pilot kinda, that we made that we never got made into a television show, but it should have. Really cool pilot. It was a really was good pilot. We were just talking about it the other day because we were talking about what's happening in politics and, 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 and the Supreme Court and stuff, and I was just like, Inside the Box. And Sarah really... Drew and Jason George and Kim, Kim Ray were all in it. Yep. yep. And so was Martin Henderson. You guys, That's we right. have no imagination. That's right, yes. We just There's keep, no we way. love people, we just keep bringing them back. Um, but I remember you coming in. Yeah, we met a that and then I booked Cabin in the Woods like the next morning. That's right. And I had to fly to Vancouver right away. But when we came in on Grays, I don't know if I don't know if we've talked about this, but I remember my Grays audition. Auditioning sucks. It does. It's really, it's really hard. It's very unlike actual acting in an environment, right? You're you're sitting in a in a, in a steel chair in a cold room with some like steely-eyed executive staring at you and you're pretending to be juggling on water skis and driving a bus and you just look ridiculous. It's set up for camera camera. But I remember auditioning and knowing in my head, there's this like double consciousness of knowing I messed up or this wasn't a good take. I wasn't doing a good job. I bungled a line or something, but I'm still performing it. But in my head going, should you stop? Should you back up? Should you ask for another one? Should you keep going? They seem into it. Oh no, she's, is she asleep? What's like, and all that while I'm still performing and then you just finish it. And I remember looking around the room feeling like I, my suspicions were confirmed and going I'd like to do that again and you and Sean about both like cutting me off like yeah please that'd be great 
like <laughs> in agreement that that we should take another crack at that. And then the next one I crushed. I, I, you I did. Felt, you did. I you crushed it. You killed it. One. I just remember. I remember sitting and talking to you. Like that was the part that I remember your audition. But I remember sitting and talking to you. And you either were still living in New York or you just I, come out. I think I was living on a bare. I had just you, a bare mattress in an empty apartment. And you were here. trying to sort of like sort things out and. You don't meet people at that point very often. Like it happened with Jack Fallahy too, actually, weirdly, who's on How to Get Away with Murder, who plays Connor. We met you at this point where it was you were just figuring the whole thing out. Yeah. You're moving, you'd made the commitment, you'd come from this other life too. Yeah. Which yeah. was super interesting to us because we hadn't left work in so long. <laughs> right. And it's like, hey, what's it like in the outside world? Do you yeah. do you ever go places? Right. What's that like? What's New York like? And we, I remember tracking you after, I think it was inside the box, or our initial meeting was we kept asking Linda, what the hell, where is he? We got really lucky. Yeah, I came straight back. We, I did Cabin in the Woods and then decided to try to move out here. That's right. So, it was, so I caught you guys on both both sides of that. And See, that's right. Literally, I realized, I say bare mattress, it, it seems unnecessary. I really was living... I had no furniture in the apartment, and I, the mattress was bare. Like, I didn't have sheets on it, which is so gross. That's so odd. And it's I, you could just go you could get go some sheets. Just a blanket or something. Yeah, it's really... But it's like you were channeling a movie from the 70s. Yeah, I was prepping for a role that is yet to exactly. come. Exactly. Um, Bobblehead Lives, who's one of our favorite fans ever, because Bobblehead always asks incredibly inventive questions, and every podcast comes mm. up with something cooler. If you could live in a world with passion or a world with kindness, which would you choose? That's deep, Bobblehead. And, and it's one without... It one or the other, right? So I go passion. Yep. You go passion. So kindness without passion, yeah, that's boring. That's bland. We're human, so that kindness is gonna fizzle. I need texture in life. I need some. I need some surprises and spontaneity. Uh, and passion inspires you to get up. Kindness doesn't inspire me to get up. I think that's a really, really good answer. <laughs> Ruby at Stella Nastiff um, wants to know how many hoodies do you actually own? Very good question. Way too many. Let me more than more than any other article of clothing, including underwear. Uh, <laughs> this is pr- definitely true. I have more hoodies than the only thing that would rival my hoodies are sweatpants. At least, I mean, 30, 40, that's, probably. That's good. That's good. I could be off by thirty, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Um, Lizzie at Liz Creole, the final question is: How does it feel to be one of the strongest voices in social media supporting your great causes? It, I, I hesitate because it, it feels, I'd love there to be more people, you know, I'd, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not in my, there's no vanity play here, it doesn't interest me to be the lonely voice there, and I don't think I am, uh, and I think that I've seen and had an impact on an increasing growing number of people willing to put their toe in the water, yeah, I think and then you maybe have. their foot in the water over time, and realizing it's, you can still be safe, and you can still be yourself, yeah. you can still be Genuine. black, yeah. and you can still, um, you know, not, you know, look for equity and, and equal rights and justice in the law, and it's not crazy. Crazy, and you and and um and you're not gonna lose. And I've said this on Twitter, like, because I get I lose a lot of fans, and I gain. You know, I get a lot of threats and all this negativity and stuff. But those people, they weren't your fans to begin with. I don't lose anything if you're gonna like unfollow me because I don't think public servants should kill people that are unarmed or are 12 years old. And, and, and that's a duality that I've lived with. That's part of, you know, living in the different places I've lived in and being biracial and kind of being able to move authentically in different spaces yeah. is that you get to hear what people, how people really feel. There, you're welcomed into that group, but you're mm-hmm. also part of the other group. Twitter is just an extension of the real world. So we keep our heads above water and, uh, again, passion. You, you go to what's important and that's, that doesn't become less valuable because somebody else, it's not convenient for them. I think that's really, really, really well put. Thank you so much for coming in and talking yeah, to me. Yeah, my pleasure. And um, hanging out a little bit. Next week on Grey's Anatomy, the episode is called I Wear the Face. And um, we have an amazing guest star, Wilmer Valderrama, which we're very excited about. And Chandra directed this episode, which is yeah. we're also really excited she about. She 
she's one of my favorite directors for is sure. Is she great? Yeah. She's just, she's terrific. And there, there's a lot going on in Grey's Anatomy, you guys, so don't miss it. And that's Thursday, April 7th at 8 o'clock on ABC. Scandal, the episode is titled Thwack. And when I tell you, you'll know why. You gotta watch this episode. It's kind of mind-boggling. Tony Goldwyn directed this episode, so just pointing out that we have thespians as mm-hmm. directors on both 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock shows, and that's Thursday, April 7th at 9 o'clock at ABC. And please, please keep watching television and tune in for The Catch, our new show at 10 o'clock on Thursday night on ABC. And this one's called The Trial. It's a really, really interesting case of the week for Alice Vaughn and her team. And things are definitely heating up between um, Alice and Ben or whatever the hell he's calling himself nowadays. Mm. So check that out too. We really, really want you to be watching that. Thanks to EW.com for posting an exclusive first listen of the podcast every Thursday night. And you can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.com backslash Shondaland, where each new podcast episode is available on Friday evenings. And as always, We'll be back next week with a new Shondaland Revealed podcast with another willing victim from one of our fine television programs. So in the meantime, thanks again, Jesse. Are you guys going to untie me now? Um, We are. We're going to untie him. Should we give him a cookie? I guess he deserves a cookie because we'll untie him and yeah, we'll hydrate you. Okay. Are you okay with that? Please warm the cookie first. I don't like a crumbly (laughs) cookie. (laughs) This is Betsy Beers. I'll be back next week. In the meantime, have a safe week. Take care. Bye-bye.